if broccoli and spinach and asparagus are the three vegetables you eat all the time and you eat the same two fruits of bananas and blueberries all the time, you're not getting enough diversity. I always say to my to the people I work with is the microbiome is like a garden, right? If you want to cultivate this garden, you want to give it different sources of nutrients, different different kinds of soil, different kinds of foods, different kinds of fruits, different kinds of vegetables. You want to give it as much diversity as, as you can because that will diversity of food will lead to diversity of microbiome. And diversity of microbiome hopefully leads to improved health outcomes. That's really the whole goal of everything, right? Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Mealtime is no longer fun or enjoyable in the slightest. I mean, now you're even worried about eating your favorite foods or your favorite meals because of how you feel after eating it. And you've probably gotten to the point now where you have to devote time after your meals, knowing you're going to feel off and you're going to have to make sure that you don't have any important meetings or important life events or really nothing that requires a lot of your highest performance capabilities, because you know, every single time after you eat, you're feeling lethargic, down, bloated, brain foggy, and your symptoms are now running of life. And worst of all, it's happening after every meal. It could be the most paleo, whole 30, gluten-free, dairy-free, everything certified. Every, you know, every grocery store would love to have your meal advertised on a shelf. And you're left here wondering, what in the world is going on? So this question really was sparked by, I had a, a fantastic question in my DMs the other day where someone asked me, you know, hey, Nick, I've been dealing with a lot of bloating, fatigue, and brain fog after everything I eat. And I'm wondering if this is something related to leaky gut. I thought that was a fantastic question and such a great observation and kudos to this person for having that awareness to know, hey, my symptoms seem to be related with meals. And it's very logical to think that it might be related to leaky gut or the fancy term of intestinal permeability. We'll just call it leaky gut because, I mean, that's that's de facto functionally what it is. Because if you go on the Google rabbit hole or even the chat GBT, probably the chat GBT rabbit holes are probably more fun and probably the more trendy thing to say versus the Google rabbit hole. So you go down that the chat GPT rabbit hole of fatigue, brain fog, bloating with every symptom, you might come up with leaky gut or intestinal permeability as one of the high situations on there. Or what's what's even worse that you might do is you might just decide to cut out all of those foods. And those not only might be some of your favorite foods, you might be cutting out a lot of nutrient-dense fruits and vegetables or even particular protein sources. And above all else, cutting out foods never never, 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 never addresses the root cause. Foods, I've used this analogy time and time again. Cutting out foods and your symptoms improving is like when you have a thumbtack in your foot and you stop walking and you're like, ah, my foot's not in pain anymore. Take the thumbtack out. Address the root stressors, the root causes of why you're reacting to these foods. Or you might even end up at a someone's office like myself or another holistic functional medicine practitioner and you're food is so restricted that you're severely undernourished and you're now starting to develop symptoms of excess fatigue, malaise, struggle with exercising, trouble staying asleep because you've limited your food so much because you have these reactions to everything you eat because something bigger is going on beneath the scenes. And this podcast is all to help you address 
what is that bigger thing going on behind the scenes? I think the first thing, and this is really, if you go walk into any physician's or healthcare practitioner's office, this is going to be one of the first things they're going to do. If you say, hey, I'm dealing with brain fog, bloating, and fatigue, you're going to want to first identify how and when it started. That's the first key point. First, identify when and how it started. And most people, are there going to be some outliers? Yes. But most people are going to fall into one of two categories to that. Number one, your symptoms could have started after a specific event. An event you you is very memorable. You know this happened. Could have been food poisoning. Could have been you had a high amounts of emotional stress from either moving or getting a new job or moving for a new job. You know, double whammy in terms of the emotional stress. Or what happens a lot, even in my practice, is rounds of antibiotics. You know, I was feeling good. I had a, a sinus, an ear, or an upper respiratory tract infection. Took some antibiotics. And ever since, things have just felt a little wonky. You know, that's as a clinician, we, we actually love those because that makes a lot of sense. And that tells us exactly what happened that led to your now food reaction. So in the case of antibiotics, it's, hey, it likely created some dysbiosis and transient leaky gut that needs to be supported. Or if it was after a bout of moving or getting a new job, it's, hey, we need to find some ways to support the emotional stressors in your life and support sleep hygiene. Like, that's great. But I said earlier, most people fall under one of two categories. That's the first one after a specific event. More than likely, you listening out there, you fall into this category. It happens in more of what's called an insidious onset. What does insidious mean? I'm not talking about the horror movie. I actually never watched because or I, I saw the first one. The first one scared me so much. I didn't even want to watch the preview to the second one. <laughs> I don't do well with scary movies. But an insidious onset means things sort of happen randomly. And it's hard to pinpoint any one thing that would have led to your symptoms starting. And honestly, most people, whether you come in to see me or in general, fall under that category. Like I said, as clinicians, we love when people come in after a specific event, their symptoms start. But for the most part, most of the time, people come in and you ask them, hey, how'd everything start? And they're like, oh, it sort of came on randomly over the last couple of years, couple of months, and they can't really pinpoint any one thing that happened, which then really requires a lot more digging and sometimes can be a lot more fun as a clinician to identify, hey, What's the big thing? So first step, if you're getting fatigue, brain fog, and bloating after every meal is to identify when and how it started. What season of life, over what period of time, has it been getting worse, has it been getting better? All are really important information, not only for a healthcare practitioner to know, but for you to know and understand as well. The second thing, and now we have to start getting way more granular, way more specific about the timing of your symptoms. If I'm a clinician, you can tell me this. One of the most important things I want to know, what you should know, is how long after eating, how long after eating do you notice the symptoms? I'm going to break this down into really three time frames that could help you pinpoint more of what could be going on. So again, three time frames here of how long after eating do you notice the symptoms? And if you haven't even picked up on a timing, I would first, I mean, this is your, I invite you, this is your invitation to now start paying attention to when these symptoms might be happening after a meal. Now you can use these three subcategories to help you pinpoint what might be actually the root stressor. First one is if it happens less than 30 minutes after you eat a meal. If it happens that quickly, I think it goes without saying that you really should rule out an allergic reaction, right? I mean, even that's when we're talking about foods or food reactions, the first thing you definitely want to rule out is a food allergy because that can be very emergent situation. It can be life-threatening at times, and you'll know. I mean, most of the time you will know that it's an allergic reaction 
from getting hives, throat swelling, itching, trouble breathing. I mean, all the classic like, hey, like I need an EpiPen now type situation. You'll know that. Imagine you listening out there. If it happens in under 30 minutes, more than likely because you're listening to this podcast, probably wasn't a food allergy. The next question I would want to ask is if it happens in less than 30 minutes and it's been happening often, every time, again, regardless of what food you're eating, you're eating paleo, whole 30, autoimmune paleo, carnivore, uh, you know, whatever certified meal, and it's happening in under 30 minutes, have you experienced any significant emotional, chemical, or physical traumas at all in your life? And I really want to pay attention to the physical and emotional traumas. You know, we have a this sort of framework we work through here at our practice here at, at The Hive where I, we help people identify, um, do you have any physical, chemical, or emotional stressors that could have been going on that could have been led to your symptoms? Again, this, things could have started randomly as they do, but there still could have been things that happened in your past, in your history, that are the reason you're reacting to food so quickly. Again, within 30 minutes, that's fast. If you think about it anatomically, food has barely reached the stomach than the first half hour. So for you to get fatigue and brain fog and bloating with food only being in the stomach, I mean, unless you ate just a massive meal, most of the time you're not going to feel bloated from things happening in the stomach. Most of the time. There's some rare occasions, but most of the time, within 30 minutes, food hasn't reached even a lot of your microbiome yet that could have interacted with it. So what happens if you've experienced, say, we'll call it a lot of emotional traumas or significant ones, whether it was in childhood, maybe it was a divorce, maybe it was the loss of a loved one, what happens a lot of time is our nervous system responds to that by going into a state of what's called survival more than thrival. And as a, as a result of that survival state, the body starts to take away priorities from digestive processes and detoxification and keeps processes like the heart beating and the blood pressure going on in order to keep the lights on. Now, what that leads to is your body becomes hyper aware of anything that enters it because now it's trying to stay in survival mode. So anything new or any strange food protein, you know, you, maybe you were at a funeral or you found out someone passed away, you had gluten the next day. So now you react to gluten because your immune system was on high alert during that time of emotional stress. And now anytime within, you know, minutes to consuming gluten, your immune system knows it. So it starts to trigger symptoms and almost a way of telling you, hey, there's some unresolved trauma that needs to be addressed before we fully can start to reintroduce foods. And even in the category of physical stressors, maybe you're in a car accident and the next day you eat, we'll call it cake or ice cream. And that's maybe when maybe they first started. Maybe you can pinpoint back to sort of that specific event. But maybe you didn't have any symptoms for a while after that. But so you had a car accident five years ago and your symptoms didn't start coming on until about a year ago. That car accident five years ago could have still laid the groundwork for things that are happening to you today. Now, that's not me scaring you, meaning all of your symptoms are related to all of your past traumas or stressors, even though they're, they're not completely unrelated. I think you still need to sit back and say, hey, like, have I gone through anything significant? And most importantly, have I worked through anything significant? So if I've been through childhood traumas, have I sought the requisite care and support and potential therapies to address that? And if I've been through a car accident, did I seek requisite care from a chiropractor, a movement specialist, a, a physical therapist, or someone to help regain function after all those things? So if you're sitting here going, hey, I've done these and I haven't sought out the support, it's very likely your food reactions could be related to those events not being fully solved. Because again, anatomically and functionally, food hasn't even made its way fully through the stomach. So it hasn't interacted with your microbiome. 
So it's not a microbial reaction just yet. I mean, there's lots of other things happening. It's not something going on in your gut per se, but rather your nervous system is on high alert. I mean, this morning, I even did something. I'm playing around with an experiment. I won't share the details of it yet, but in a couple months, hopefully I will. And I've never done anything like this before. So this morning, I, I do the experiment. And again, I've never done this. So as I'm doing the experiment, within seconds, my body feels very weird. And was it a reaction? Maybe. But I think what it more so was, was it was just something new. And when I just sort of sat there, controlled my breathing, and really brought my nervous system under control, I was completely fine. So it was really just that novelty element that was emotionally stressful for my nervous system and subsequently my body and subsequently my immune system's reaction to events. In closing here, if it was under 30 minutes and it's not an allergy, I really think you need to sit back and pinpoint, hey, have I addressed long-term emotional and physical traumas that I've been through? All right, the second time period is from 30 minutes to two hours because now anatomically, you know, roughly two hours, and again, there's going to be variances on either side of the normal distribution curve. Two hours is going to be the amount of time it takes for food to reach the small intestine. Why is that important? The small intestine is where so many of the important physiologic processes that happen related to nutrient digestion and absorption, especially nutrient absorption, related to immune function. So most of our immune system, most of your immune system is housed in your small intestine. You know, everyone says it's all in the gut. It is, but you know where it is within the gut? It's in the small intestine. So that's where your gut could be most prone to leaky gut type symptoms, or, you know, it's called undigested food proteins. And we'll, we'll unpack that here in a second that are making their way across this leaky barrier. And then your whole body sees this food protein and it could potentially mount a reaction, AKA you feel bloating, brain fog, fatigue, et cetera. You know, why wouldn't I fully digest my meal? I've done so many prior podcasts based on not enough stomach acid, why you might not be eating in the correct environment. So really the first thing I would do is if you're noticing symptoms within 30 minutes to two hours, is I would take inventory of what you're doing while you're eating. How long do you give yourself to eat your meal? And were you mindful of chewing it? So here's one example. I, whenever anyone starts to work with us, we have them do some, some various logging of, the, of their lifestyle habits. And we want to know what they're doing while they're eating. And that's one of the most insightful things I've ever found for both myself and people I work with is people understanding what they're doing while they're eating impacts the digestibility of their meal. Because think about this. If you're answering emails, your body is in a state of focus. And if you're answering emails, it's probably not good things a lot of times, right? Like emails aren't exactly the most thrilling parts of our day. And a lot of times it's people who are having situations that aren't going the way we want them. So we're having to be in this sort of heightened state. And that heightened state is directly antagonistic to the state of digestion. So if you're working, answering emails, or you just had a, a fight with a coworker or a spouse or not a great conversation, that is all setting up your system to be in a more sympathetic mode. And when you're not parasympathetic, when you're, symp when you're sympathetically dominant, you are counteracting a lot of the beneficial impacts of digestive function. And you're also, again, setting your immune system up on high alert. So if your symptoms are happening within 30 minutes to two hours, take inventory of what you're doing while you're eating and how long. You know, if you're eating a meal in 10 minutes, you might be having a lot of undigested food reach the small intestine because you didn't chew it enough. You didn't give your, your, your mouth. And think about our teeth are so strong. I mean, our teeth are stronger than anyone out there can even deadlift like a thousand plus pounds. Right? It means these things are the horses. Our teeth are, our teeth are horses. So if you give it its proper chewing, and I always say chew it enough time to turn to liquid, 
you might see the fancy number of 25 to 30 times. I don't think you need to be that, you know, mathematic about it. If you just chew it enough times to turn to liquid, that will ensure that by the time the proteins make their way from your stomach and your small intestine, that they are in the form that your body can most recognize. But if you're not, if you're chewing your food whole, if you're you're swallowing it without even really doing much with it, then I think that's where you should really take inventory rather than going down all these leaky gut rabbit holes. Understand what you're doing while you're eating and how you eat can a lot of times be just as important, if not more, than what you're eating. All right, the third and final category. So we had 30 minutes, unpack your, your traumas and big stressors in your life. If it was 30 minutes to two hours, really take inventory of what you're doing while you're eating. Now, if it's two to five hours, so if you notice maybe by the time you're about to eat your next meal, that's when you notice the most fatigue, brain fog, and and lethargy, and even bloating still, if it's two to five hours, that's likely most related to things happening with your gut microbiome. Why do we say that? Most of the gut microbes are housed in your small intestine, or excuse me, your large intestine. If you have the wrong kind of microbes in your small intestine, that's problematic, which underlies actually a lot of the, the IBS, IBS type symptoms. What could be happening is, you know, all these microbes, they need to eat. Just like we need to eat, they need to eat. And they are actually far worse at fasting than we are. So they love to eat. <laughs> and they love to eat particular types of sugars. And when they eat sugars, you know, say sugars that we didn't digest or we didn't absorb from our meal or things like fiber that we can't digest and absorb anyway, is they take that food, they take those sugars, and they do what's called fermentation. They ferment. So similar to how you add cultures or starter to make kombucha, to make sourdough, to make beer or wine. It's all this fermentation process where bacteria take sugars, they ferment, and they create various gases as a byproduct. Well, sometimes these gases can actually manifest themselves as bloating-type symptoms, like actual physical distension on the abdomen. Could just could just be absolute gas. And then these gases means that there's certain type of microbes present that also create other compounds that could lead to fatigue and brain fog. And so it really speaks to an imbalance that's happening within your gut microbiome, which from my clinical experience, if this is you two to five hours after eating, it's most likely related to this nutritional habit. Ready? This is going to be a lengthy one. This nutritional habit. Number one, you're eating high simple sugars, so high added sugars, or even high amounts of starches, or even high amounts of low fiber fruits. So you're thinking like several apples, several bananas, even fruit juices. So that's number one, high simple sugars, high added sugars, with two, low amounts of fiber, or low amounts of fiber diversity. And when I say fiber diversity, I mean, we all know the person out there that eats the same prepped meal every day for years. They always eat I think in in the fitness community, right, it's chicken, rice, and broccoli. And if broccoli and spinach and asparagus are the three vegetables you eat all the time, and you eat the same two fruits of bananas and blueberries all the time, you're not getting enough diversity. I always say to to the people I work with is the microbiome is like a garden, right? If you want to cultivate this garden, you want to give it different sources of nutrients, different, different kinds of soil, different kinds of foods, different kinds of fruits, different kinds of vegetables. You want to give it as much diversity as, as you can because that will diversity of food will lead to diversity of microbiome and diversity of microbiome hopefully leads to improved health outcomes. That's really the whole goal of everything, right? So that was the, the first thing was high simple sugar, high added sugar. The second thing was low fiber or low fiber diversity. And number three is low protein. Because if you, this, this cocktail of high simple sugar, low fiber, low protein is characterized by virtually any processed food. I mean, you think about any processed food, it fits that description. 
the one that always comes to my mind are donuts. <laughs> donuts are amazing. They're so good. But think about everything that is in donuts, gluten, dairy, sugar, added vegetable oils, food colorings. I mean, even a little bit of sodium to really kick on the flavor profile. But because of that, they're low in fiber, they're high in simple sugars, and they're low in protein, unless you make, you know, protein donuts. So for the most part, that is creating excess simple sugars for your gut microbes to ferment. And ideally, the gut microbes that you don't want, because as you start eating more simple sugars, that feeds microbes we generally don't love and aren't favorable for our, for our health. So, I mean, take inventory of that. Like, what does your meal composition macronutrient-wise look like? Like, if it's, again, if it's chicken, sweet potato, and avocado, and you're still getting symptoms, much bigger digging on that needs to be explored, and you probably need to seek the help of a practitioner <laughs> who understands these things. But you need to be honest with yourself. And if you're having, you know, like cookies or baked goods, or you're having, like, you have a muffin for breakfast, then you notice that every time after you have the muffin, you get these symptoms two to five hours later. I think that's your macronutrient composition. Like, we don't have to make it super complicated. I think it's as simple as that. But it, again, if you're getting them after spinach, ground beef, avocado, with some sweet potato, that's something you really need to seek out the the help and guidance of a you know a functional, holistic, integrative you know insert buzzword for natural health, alternative medicine. There, I think another thing you can do though, I talked about the the food diversity. I see a lot of success with people I work with if is to track. You know, if it what doesn't get what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed, and so instead of tracking macros, which can be tedious, some people enjoy it, is track how many different kinds of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and whole grains you eat in a week. And when I say different kinds, I mean unique kinds. So if you have bananas seven days, that's only one type of fibrous food. That's only only one thing. But if you have bananas, blueberries, and apples, that's three different types. If you have spinach one day, Swiss chard the next, kale the next, and collard greens the next, that's four different types. Of, and again, we're all talking about the diversity, the different unique types of fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, and even whole grains that you have in a week. So if you track that, our goal with people is at least at least 20 to 30, ideally over 30. More often than not, a lot of people are in the teens, and that's really where, hey, we don't need to make it fancy. We just need to find strategies to help you add more diversity into your nutrition, particularly with more fiber and more protein. That way we can favor your gut microbes and favor ones we love rather than ones we don't love. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut. <laughs>